Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone in Zoom and everyone on ACB Radio. And thank you so much for joining us uh, for our, well, sort of banquet, certainly banquet activities anyway. Um, hope you had a good banquet meal. My friends from Philadelphia just ordered cheesesteak sandwiches, which are like my favorite. But anyway, they, I hope they enjoyed them. Uh, so we've got several things this evening. But the first thing we're going to do is give a couple of door prizes. So, Mr. Glenn, if you would activate Siri. Pick a number between 1 and 73. Seven. Okay. Number seven. Number seven. Oh my, Francine. Well, instead of cheesesteaks, you can go to Applebee's. You are going to have a twenty-five dollar gift card to Applebee's, um, and that was donated by one of our board members, Musi Allred. I bet Fran's probably in the audience. So, Fran, if you want to say anything, you can raise your hand. She might still be eating her cheesesteak. Yeah, I think she's still hanging out in Philadelphia <laughs> with her cheese. Oh, there she is. Thank you for the gift card. Now uh, I can go to, well, I got a $10 gift card this summer from ACB Families for Applebee's. Now I got $25 Applebee's. I'm I'm just doing all right. Well, you're, you're, you're set to go to Applebee's. Okay. I am. I just all have right. to find someone to go with. <laughs> well, I'll be up in Philadelphia sometime and we can go. <laughs> There you go. All right, all right. Thank you. Thank you for attending our convention. Okay. Uh, let's do another one, Glenn. Okay. Pick a number between 1 and 73. A random number between 1 and 73 is 10. ten. Number 10. Okay. Number 10 is Sharon... All right, I might need help with this one, Strazkowski, whatever. Um, she's from Worcester, Massachusetts. And Sharon will be receiving a spoon rest made by our own Marsha Springston Dillon. Uh, okay, let me just write that down. Okay, um, let's do one more, Glenn. Pick a number between 1 and 73. Random number between 1 and 73 is 14. 14. Number 14. She's into these lower numbers now. She is. Oh, that is Tony Caridi. Well, All Mr. Right. Tony Caridi yeah. won. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check to see what he won because I, I, don't, I don't have that file open. The others I had memorized. And I will check and see what Tony won here in a second. Um, Tony is the winner of a $25 Amazon gift card donated by Josh Metz. So, all right. I feel sure he'd probably be able to use that. Okay. So, for our evening activities, um, there was a couple of things I, I forgot to mention before uh, we went off the air for our sort of banquet meal. Um this year, the Mountain State Council once again had our usual West Virginia Walkers team, um, and we didn't do quite as well this year, but we actually ended up doing better than, than what I realized. I looked at the website yesterday, and uh, we raised just about $1,500, which would mean Mountain State Council will get half of that, so we'll receive a check for 
um, almost $750. So, and um, just for informational purposes, a few years ago, we voted at one of our business meetings for whatever monies we raise from the walk, um, 20% of that will go into our Barbara Fierce Memorial uh, Technology Fund. I'll talk about that in a minute. And then uh, another 20% will go to into our Anna Hunt Memorial Academic Scholarship Fund. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. And then the other 60% goes to our general fund. Um, and so that's kind of a, an ongoing thing every year. So... Um, anyway, uh, I mentioned, um, the Barbara Fierce, um, technology, uh, fund. Barbara Fierce, I did not know Barbara. Uh, she was, I, I, I don't know if she was ever a member. She may have been, but she, and if there anybody out in the audience knows more about Barbara, I, I'd be very happy for you to share that with us, um. But she really had a passion for, you know, helping blind and, and visually impaired people. And um, so the technology fund initially started um, with our when we used to have a chapter in that Martinsburg area called the Tri-County chapter. And they really, you know, kind of had that that technology fund. And, and then when their chapter folded, it, you know, came to Mountain State Council. Um, and so basically what that is, it's a, a fund where and you have to be a resident of West Virginia to apply. And um, it, there's a, a form to fill out. It's fairly simple. But if, if you are in need of technology, you can receive uh, up to $500 in financial assistance for that uh, piece of equipment. Um, we just ask you to, you know, exercise other funding options. Um, and most people so far have already done that even before they come to us. So last year we were able to award our first, um, oh good, Brenda's going to help us. Katie, do you want to allow Brenda to talk? Absolutely. Let me, there we Uh, go. Anyway, while Brenda's getting unmuted, uh, we were able to award um, that for the first time last year, a student a Marshall University student um, was in need of a, a laptop. And uh, so we were able to award her $500 and she purchased her laptop. And it was very happy. Brenda, can you tell us something about Barbara or whatever? <laughs> well, guess what, Donna? It's not Brenda, it's Chris. Well, wait a minute. Why did it say Brenda? Because we're playing Scrabble. <laughs> Oh, but we're listening to you too. Okay. Uh, I wanted to tell you about Barbara. Um, You know, when we went through a period where we weren't organized doing anything, our chapter here in Martinsburg was created. Barbara was one of our really go-getters in the group. Uh, She was a diabetic nurse, had diabetes herself. Um, When she passed, she left a bunch of her technology to our group. So that's how we started with the Barbara Fierce Technology uh, link. And we gave away money while we were the only chapter for a long time. And then we passed it on to MSCB. So that's the history behind Barbara's award. Okay. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. (laughs) Or Brenda or whoever. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, let's take those other raised hands. Well, all right. Um, so next we have, I think that's Teresa. Nine. Yes. Nine, seven, four. Yes, this is Teresa, and I definitely knew Barbara. Um, She lived in Jefferson County a good chunk of the time I knew her. In fact, she didn't live too far from my um, parents' house at one time, and then she moved into town, and she and her husband were at my wedding. They came to my wedding in 1987. That was the last time I saw her alive. But um, she was always willing and helpful. I remember once I needed a tape recorder, you know, to record lectures or study um, what had been, you know, listen to what had been read to me. And she gladly, you know, her husband drove over and my mother and I met her and she gladly loaned me a tape, you know, player to listen to uh, my books. Okay, cool. Thank you for sharing that, Teresa. All right. Um, Kathy. This is Kathy Gerhardt, and um, I'm glad the other folks spoke up. The only thing I have to add um, at, at the beginning of the second resurrection of Mountain State, Barbara was very um, instrumental in fundraising, and she also, uh, I think one place was the Rotary, and another was the Lions Club, and uh, maybe there there might have been another source of funds to get the the chapter going and the state going because um we were the first resurrected chapter as donna said and she i think she got like $500 out of um each one of those and maybe another one and so that was that was pretty darn good i'll tell you yeah <laughs> back in the day and she did. Uh, she was very, um, very good in organizing and participating and having us over to her house. And she was great. Thank you. Oh, okay. Good. Thank you. Okay. Um, so that is an ongoing um, award, I guess you could say. That's not necessarily a, a one time a year. Um, that that is always on our website. So any West Virginia resident who, you know, wants to apply, um, please feel free to do so. Um, and it's it says on our application that you know the word could be up to five hundred dollars as long as funds permit. So you know there may be a time where that may not be five hundred dollars, but right now we, we are. And then. Um, the scholarship that I mentioned, which we're going to actually award to someone this evening, um, the Anna L. Hunt Memorial Academic Scholarship is named after a lady, Anna Anna Marie Hunt. Uh, she actually was a, a, a West Virginia resident. She was a, a music teacher was a music or English. I can't remember. Chris might have to come and bail me out again. Um, she was, a, anyway, she was a teacher um, and she taught at a high school, which was un, unheard of in, in her day of blind people being teacher at a regular, you know, public school. Uh, that was certainly not the norm. Uh, eventually she went to Oklahoma and worked at the Oklahoma school for the blind for years. Um, and, and that's where she retired. Uh, but anyway, she, she then moved back to West Virginia. But she was kind of 
instrumental or played a big part in in um, getting Mountain State Council started. Uh, she kind of sent Derwood K. McDaniel, who was a really go getter there to try to get members and stuff, and she kind of sicked him on West Virginia, so to speak. <laughs> but anyway, um, but Anna Hunt was very very passionate about. Um, blind students um, having the opportunity to, you know, attend college and, and get a degree and, and become successful. And so um, when we, you know, when she passed, we really, it, it was almost really a no brainer to um, create a scholarship in, in her memory. All right, Chris, I bet that's really Chris, but I might be fooled. Okay. Back again. Um, Anna did start, uh, got us a lot of our startup members back in 1980. Um, I think she recruited a good many members of her family <laughs> to join her. Sister was a professor at WVU. And um, then later on, Don, uh, when Anna moved back, oh, let me give you, go back a minute. Anna was the first visually impaired teacher in the public school system back in the 50s. I don't know if a lot of people know that um, she had an in because you know how hard it's been to get into the school system. Uh, her uncle was the superintendent of, I believe it was Lincoln County schools. And so she did teach there for a while. And after her divorce, <laughs> she told me she went to Oklahoma because that was far enough away from him. So <laughs> Anna had a great sense of humor, um, you know, and, and she was very active in ACB and, uh, Two or three times that I went to the national, thank goodness the Oklahoma group just adopted me. So I'm really fond of the Oklahoma people. So anyway, that that's it. And I don't think you need any more information from me. <laughs> I enjoy your Scrabble game. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm fixing chicken strips right now. Games. <laughs> okay, bye. All right, thank you. Okay, um, so I also... Um, uh, Anna Hunt, um, when she moved back to West Virginia, and, and I don't, you know, she, she was older, of, of course, but, and and this was very unusual, but she really was amazing at catching on to the, the newest technology, and, and I mean, she really kept up with it, and, you know, that's kind of unusual for, uh, well, older people. I mean, let's just be honest. And especially, you know, like nearly 20 years ago or whatever. And we all know how quickly technology changes. She was really an amazing lady. Uh, so anyway, we're going to award our Anna L. Hunt Memorial Academic Scholarship this evening to, and this is his third time winning it, <laughs> um, to Colton Sweeney. And Colton is a student at uh, Concord, uh, which is a, a college in West Virginia, and he can tell us a little more, um, but he actually was initially um, an, an education major, but he switched his major to social work, and so hopefully he'll tell us a little bit about that too. Uh, so Colton, congratulations, and we are so honored to award you with the Anna L. Hunt Memorial Academic Scholarship. Well, thank you so much, Donna, for awarding me this scholarship. It it truly does help out when it comes to uh, needs such as tuition and purchasing textbooks and access codes for homework that they have you purchase these days. So it it definitely is 
helpful. So um, <clears throat> as Donna said, my name is Colton Sweeney. Um, so I am 20 years old and I currently live in Crab Orchard, West Virginia. Um, I attend Concord University, which is located in Athens, West Virginia. I do not um, live on the main campus. I actually commute to the Irma Bird Higher Education Center. Um, a fun little fact of Irma Bird about Irma Bird. Um, I don't know if we have any uh, people that are tuned in from out of state or what have you, but um, a little tidbit um, is that Irma Bird was the wife of Robert Seabird, which was he was a um, United States senator who was from West Virginia. And so they named the uh, Higher Education Center Complex, which is composed of, I believe, four buildings, I'd like to say, after her. And uh, Robert Seabird actually has a road named after him. So I thought that was kind of cool and wanted to incorporate that. So um, originally, I did major in elementary education, but um, I was doing well in my studies. But when it came to... um, student observe in the classroom I found that quickly that my visual impairment would um make that difficult for me you know because we have to do observations and it's hard to observe with low vision so I would miss out on a lot of things so I decided that I would switch to um social work or social services whatever you'd like to call it and um I truly feel like after switching, I I have like this huge weight and burden that's been lifted off of me. Um, I chose social work because I'm the kind of person that truly likes to to help others, whether that be, um, you know, with this degree, it'll be uh, uh, professionally job wise, but also in my day to day life, I, I try to help anyone and everyone that may need help. Um, so I decided to major in social work and I'm also currently minoring in criminology and that goes hand in hand with some of the, uh, information that we are learning in in this, uh, program. Um, I've actually been partially accepted into the social work program, but I still need to take one more course, I believe, to get uh, officially accepted. Um, After I graduate, I plan on pursuing my education and getting my MSW, which is a Master's of Social Work. Um, And with that degree, I plan to um, either become a, a counselor, like an adult counselor, or um become a school social worker or a school counselor um and last year I did I know you like to hear about this Donna I did make the dean's list last semester and I had my highest grade point average ever of a 3.66 great um and I guess I don't know if we have people that are uh tuned in from out of state or maybe have never met me. So uh, if that's right, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about my visual impairment. That's fine. We we do have several people from other states. So Okay. Sure. Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure we were good on time. We're, we're fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. 
Um, so I have been visually impaired since birth and I have the eye disease known as retinopathy of prematurity. Um, so when I was born, I was diagnosed with this, uh, disease. Um, so retinopathy of prematurity, um, is an eye disease and it affects, um, infants that weigh, uh, two pounds, um, or less, um, in my case, I weighed one pound and three ounces, and I was 12 inches long. So I believe that's the size of a small Coke can. I'm not entirely sure. But um, this disease develops in infants between the age, between uh, 31 weeks or less. Um, so what this disease affects is it affects the retina and the retina is the tissue that's located in the back of our eyes and the uh, primary function of the retina is to send light and signals to our brain. Um, and so with this disease, abnormal blood vessels would form around the retina and um, if they are not... Um, removed with laser surgery, they can lead to permanent lifelong vision loss uh, or blindness. So um, when I was born, they had to do immediate laser eye surgery to preserve my vision. So due to the laser surgery, um, I have blind spots in my vision. Um, and that caused me to lose my peripheral vision, which is uh, side vision. So when I say... Um, look around I have to turn to my left to specifically look at the left and so on and also due to the surgery um I no longer have depth perception and that's what uh, allows us to judge the proximity of an object um distance wise from us um and that would conclude my little uh tidbit about myself so um colton be, before we open it up if anybody wants to ask you any questions but i'd like mm -hmm. for you to talk about your white cane day coming up and and how people can participate and how you're planning it with covid19 yeah. in our lives so go ahead share okay. with us how um, what you're what you're doing okay would you like me to kind of give like an overview of how it uh, came to be would that be helpful for everyone? Um, well, I, I think just, you know, C Colton just kind of put a, well, I'm, go ahead. You can, you can do it better than uh, I can. Uh, okay. okay. Um, so last year I um, ended up reaching out to the mayor of Beckley, West Virginia. His name is Robert Radpole. And um, I have noticed that living in the rural state of West Virginia, that a lot of individuals are, unaware and uneducated on white cane laws and I decided that the only way for people to have access to this information is is to put it out there and do something about it myself because no one else is going to do it so that's kind of what I did and so I emailed the mayor and I actually received the response within a day or two and he was thrilled and I had his support 100%. So um, I ended up partnering with the Mountain State Centers for Independent Living, who is also partnering with me this year again, which I'm so, so, so very thankful for um, because they help um, host it with me, which is so wonderful. They're all wonderful people. So last year, um, 
the main focus of the event was we had um, a obstacle course where we would put sighted on the sighted individuals on their blindfold and have them navigate an obstacle course um, with a white cane. Um, And then another thing that we did was we had eye disease simulation goggles um, and it ranged from eye diseases from glaucoma to diabetic retinopathy and so on and so forth. And they each had different um, levels of vision loss. And also with that, um, there was one that displayed what it's like to have tunnel vision. And there was one that uh, showed what it's like to have blind spots in your vision. And um, there was actually a lot more people that I ever thought would show up for the first go around. And I had a lot of comments from uh, individuals that came and participated saying that they learned a lot. So I truly feel like I, uh, got my point across as to what I was trying to to do, and I also appeared on the radio and news to help uh, help the event gain attention, and I feel like that uh, truly helped. But uh, this year, due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic, we're having to do um, White Cane Awareness Day via Zoom. Um, so this is a completely different set up an atmosphere than what we did last year. So we kind of have to uh, kind of had to rework things. So um, what we have planned is uh, we're going to have some individuals speak about what it's like to uh, live with a visual impairment um, and just uh, little things like that. And also um, we are, working to find a sign language interpreter to sign the event because um, the main focus of the event is to truly educate, but we also have to be inclusive for everyone. And I am very, very passionate about that and disability rights. So I, I, we wanted to make sure that anyone could join um, and it'll be, It'll start at 11.30 on October 15th um, next month, and it ends at 1.30. And what we did, what we decided was that time frame would allow uh, individuals to uh, pop in on their lunch break um, and so forth. So if they can't stay for a while, they can just just stay for a little bit and then leave. Um, and so we're hoping that that way we could get more people to um to come um the zoom link i believe is going to be live next week so i can um get that to you when it comes out and um if anyone would like to uh receive the link or if you have any questions about like things that i didn't touch on um you can uh email me and my email is coltsweeney at gmail.com uh, C-O-L-E-T-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y at gmail.com or you could um, look me up on Facebook and, and send me a message via Messenger or if you don't do email or Facebook, you could um, shoot me a text message and I believe Dawn has my number so she could I, uh, I do. get that out um, to you. Um, did that kind of cover... 
Okay, you, maybe when you get the Zoom information, you can put it out on our um, members' email list also. Yeah, how, how do I go about doing that? Uh, Would I just contact you? or? Uh, well, you can, but you should be able to send to that list. I can send you the actual email address. And, and Oh, okay. They, yeah, that's not a one-way list. Everybody can, can send a message to that list. I, I'm not the only one that can. Everybody oh, okay. can. So, yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, so... I would say since Claire Stanley is here that I'm sure she's pretty proud of you, Colton, as we are for your advocacy efforts in Beckley. Um, that's, that's a lot of what it is. So, do we have any questions for Colton? Or comments? Again, if you, if you have a question or comment, um, raise your hand. And that is star nine on the phone. Um, Alt-Y on the PC, Option-Y on the Mac, and if you're using an iDevice, there's a raise hand button. And we have Agnes here. Hi, Colton. I just want to congratulate you on winning this award and all of your achievements. And I think you did a great advocacy job, and I wish you lots of luck with all of your future endeavors. Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate that. And that really means a lot to me. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. All right, Teresa. You should be unmuted. Okay. I want to first, Katie, I'm trying to play with this Mac. (laughs) She knows what that's all about. (laughs) I do. Okay. But Colton, I want to congratulate you very much. And, um, I wish you well in your endeavors. And the uh, Veterans Administration hospitals, VA hospitals around the country, are always in need of social workers. Oh, to that's work with veterans. yeah. That that's a, a good thought. Okay. And MSW is required, of course. But um, we have social workers at our VA here. And their second year of their master's degree program, they do internships. And they come from a local university here in Little Rock, and they've come to the VA and worked under the, um, under the guided instruction of, their, of, their social, of a social worker who's their field instructor. Oh, all right. Well, thank you so and much Colton, for sharing that. there's even a VA right there in Beckley. Oh, there is? So, yes, sir, yes, there, there is. is. Yeah. Well, hey, that that'll work out good. Okay. Well, Colton, once again uh, from Mountain State Council, we congratulate you, and we also thank you. Colton has been a member of Mountain State Council as well uh, since he started coming to our conventions, and and um, so we, you know, thank you for that. And hopefully, and and we know how it is as a college student. You're awful, awful busy, uh, but hopefully, at, at some point, you'll be able to you know, get a little bit more actively involved. And I know it's hard right now, but uh, we do thank you for all your advocacy efforts as well. And uh, just, again, wish you well. And we will move on to our featured speaker. We heard her this morning, but tonight it's going to be a little different. Uh, Claire Stanley, I'm not going to go through that whole introduction, but Claire is... um, going to talk to us some about the advocacy outreach but then we also know claire is the pick of the litter so 
Well, not Claire as the pick of the litter, but in the pick of the litter. <laughs> Boy, that didn't sound good. Okay, Claire, welcome again. Well, thank you so much. I was going to say, I'm not the pick of the litter. Tulane, my Tulane is the pick of the litter. Yeah. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for having me um, this evening. Um, I It's great to be here. I wish I could actually be with you all in person, but that's okay. And I just want to take a moment to say congratulations, Colton. It was great to hear what you're up to and um, good luck in school. And I am excited to see what you're going to do in years to come. So congratulations. Um, so yeah, I was asked by Donna to come and speak to you guys today. Um, to tell you a little bit about what we do in the national office, what a day in advocacy, so to speak, looks like. And then I can tell you a little bit more about what it was like to be on Pick of the Litter and a little bit about who me, Claire Stanley, is. So um, I thought I would start and talk about what it looks like in the national office, um, the the mysterious office just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, no, it's a, it's a great office to work in, a great group of people, lots of laughs and lots of good times and lots of hard work done. So it's a great place to be. Um, so as far as advocacy goes in the national office, advocacy can look like a lot of things. It's not just a one size fits all, uh, because as I'm sure all of you guys know, like Colton was talking about with advocacy, you can advocate in a lot of different ways. And so I think kind of one of the fun parts of advocacy is that it doesn't always look the same and that Clark and myself are always putting our thinking caps on to decide how we're going to advocate for people or a group of people or the entire blind community um, in a particular way. And it kind of depends on the situation, the issue. Um, so again, I kind of find it fun. I see it as like a puzzle, like how are we going to solve this issue? Um, so one of the first things that we can do as far as advocacy works is just helping people on an individual basis. And I love that. Um, we get calls all the time. Shout out to Sharon Lovering, who is usually the first point of contact with our office. She answers literally probably a hundred calls a week. Um, so we're getting hundreds and hundreds of calls all the time. Um, and some, you know, we can give people an answer just like that and just takes a few seconds, but others can be ongoing issues that we're helping people with for months and months to, um, and onwards because, you know, issues don't just, aren't just solved just like that. It can take time. But I often call this like the direct services or direct advocacy where I'm talking one-on-one -on -one with a person who, you know, maybe experience discrimination, maybe is trying to get services through their state, maybe wants to learn what the laws say. So it can look like all kinds of different things, but it's really fun to be talking to people right there um, on an individual basis. Um, sometimes I'll make phone calls for them. Sometimes I'll write letters for them. Sometimes it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's as easy as educating people on what the law says, on what the Americans with Disabilities Act says, or other applicable laws. Um, you know, anything and everything. So as far as advocacy goes in that realm, it's just a lot of education, both to the person themselves or other entities. Sometimes I love that I get to write a letter or make a phone call on behalf of people to advocate for them. And I get to say, I'm calling on behalf of the American Council of the Blind. I always like to think that putting our name and our, our letterhead and our, you know, who we are it comes with, it's a lot of weight behind it. It's a lot of power behind it. I think we can take that for granted that 
we're this organization that's been around for decades and that has many members and has done some really awesome things. So when we're advocating for people, whether it be one person or the entire blind community, we have authority to say, hey, I'm calling on, you know, with the weight of ACB to advocate for these issues. So I think we shouldn't take that for granted that it's pretty exciting that because of the work of people for decades now that we do have some weight behind us. And so that's pretty exciting. Um, another thing with advocacy was, so I was talking about direct advocacy and that's again, making phone calls, writing letters. Um, another way of advocacy can be litigation. It can be filing lawsuits. Now we don't always want that to be, you know, the, the path we take because litigation takes time. It takes money. Um, sometimes it can be seen as a little, people use the word litigious negatively that, you know, you don't want to file a lawsuit because it can be a negative thing. So it's not always our go-to, but ACB has done some awesome um, litigation in the past to make a big difference. Um, just yesterday on the 18th, one of the attorneys that ACB has been working with for almost 20 years now, Jeff Levitke, he spoke um, to an appellate court in front of three just nominal. So yeah, if you're ever in DC, check out the Kennedy Center. And if you're not able to go on the audio description night, if you let them know in advance. Um, the initial case back in 2008, but now the Treasury has been dragging it on for years and years and years. Um, but that's a perfect example of where litigation has been a powerful tool for us in our in our tool belt. And so, you know, again, we don't always want lawsuits to be our, our go-to because we want to work, um, you know, in a, in a good manner to be cordial and that kind of thing with groups, but there is definitely a time and place. And so I really enjoyed working um, with some of the attorneys that we have the opportunity to work with um, through ACB. Um, uh, Matt Handley is probably a name that some of you recognize. He used to work at the Washington Lawyers Committee and has since left and opened up his own law firm doing civil rights advocacy work. So we work with Matt very closely. We also continue to work with the Washington Lawyers Committee. Um, and excitingly, they were the um, they were the firm that helped right there in your own state of West Virginia when we worked on the matter about absentee voting. So they were actually the attorneys who helped get the legislation passed in your state to have absentee, accessible absentee voting. So we still work with the Washington Lawyers Committee as well. Um, so that's another great example of some attorneys we work with. So um, we have some really great relationships with attorneys that we continue to work with. So um, that is another quiver in our tool belt or whatever however the phrase goes of advocacy. Um, then, as I just kind of implied with the, your own West Virginia situation, legislation can be an advocacy tool that we continue to use. And um, it was exciting when we first reached out to the Secretary of State's office in your home state of West Virginia. We didn't know if we would have to sue um, to bring about accessible absentee balloting. You know, we kind of we started out cordial, as we always do. We wrote a really friendly letter. And, you know, we said, let's work together, which is always the way we like to start. But we got some pushback initially, and we were really thinking we might have to file a formal lawsuit, um, which we've had to do in other states. Um, but we continued to talk and went back and forth. And finally, West Virginia said, you know, we think we'll pass a law. And it was um, S-94 is the law that passed in your state. And that's brought about accessible absentee voting. So 
promoting legislation through the National ACB office, I think is really fun. And obviously in that situation, it was a state law um, at the West Virginia level, but we're always pushing too for legislation at the national level. Um, I hope lots of you have come to our uh, leadership conference every February-ish that we put on, um, where we get to promote what we call our imperatives and our imperatives always connect with legislation going on at the national level. And by promoting legislation, um, we are advocating for issues that impact the blind community. Um, I hope everybody gets involved with the leadership conference and the legislative seminar this year. It's gonna look different. Um, it's not gonna be in person because of COVID, but we're really excited to see what we can do with that. Um, getting people involved, getting people to reach out to their, their representatives, um, you know, we've all had a million Zoom meetings now, and you can reach out to your your representatives through Zoom and things like that. So we're hoping that because you don't have to pay to fly to D.C. and pay for a hotel this year, that even more people will get excited and get involved about the legislative seminar and our, our quote unquote Capitol Hill Day, um, even though it won't be in person. So pushing for legislation is another great um, tool for advocacy that we're constantly doing um, in the national office. And rest assured, when we do the imperatives each year, it's not just a one-week thing where you guys come to D.C., advocate for them, and then it's over. Nope. Clark and I, that's our job. You guys task us with the great opportunity to advocate for the blind community. So even after the outreach has been done by our members, Clark and I continue to do follow-up meetings with the Congress of congressional offices, um, brainstorming how we can further push for those issues. So that's something that Clark and I are doing with advocacy. You know, it doesn't just go away after you guys have done the great work um, that we greatly appreciate when you guys come for the legislative seminar and the leadership conference. But Clark and I continue to pound the pavement, so to speak, when it comes to legislation. And then one other thing um, that we can do for advocacy is to outreach to the different federal agencies. So I often tell people that we work with all three branches of the government, right? So in the US, we all know un under the constitution, we have the judicial branch, which is the lawsuits that I talked about. We have the legislature, which is pushing for legislation like I just talked about. But then we also have the executive branch and that can then branch down to many different federal agencies. Some are directly connected with uh, cabinets um, that come from the executive branch and some are independent as well. Um, but we're always trying to work with those agencies to advocate as well. And so, for instance, when we've been working on the diabetes issue that I talked about earlier today, one of our thoughts was maybe we can reach out to Health and Human Services with the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, CMS. Maybe we can work with CMS to try to find ways to bring about accessible, durable medical equipment. So that was an example of how we reached out to HHS CMS, which is a federal agency under the executive branch to try to come up with ways to advocate for those issues. So um, I always tell people when we're advocating um, at the federal level, and then it's the same thing for you guys at your state level, we'd hope you guys are doing is exploring all three branches of the government. You know, we have all three of them, and they all have a time and place. And so when we're advocating, we are always looking at uh, what we can do. Um, so that's kind of a, a brief little overview of what advocacy looks like in the national office. So again, starting at the direct advocacy level for individuals, working all, our way all the way up to 
the entire blind community. And I also should say, I want to make sure this is clear, when we decide to work on issues that are a national level, we of course are keeping our eye out for issues that are pertinent. Um, but the way we find out about issues that we should deal with is by hearing from you guys. You know, of course, there are a few of us in the, the national office who are blind. And so we have our own life experiences and can come and say, hey, this isn't okay. It needs to be advocated for. But you guys are in a state that we don't live in. So you guys see things and hear things that we don't know about and so on and so forth with the whole, you know, national landscape. So the way we learn about what we need to be advocating for comes from you guys. So please, you know, give us a call right on Facebook, <clears throat> send us an email. You know, we, we want to know what issues we should be advocating for. And that's often how we do, you know, we start to get emails from people and we're hearing the same things over and over again. And we say, Ooh, we see a pattern or practice. And that's why we know it's something we need to advocate for. So that's kind of, um, how we, we start to understand what we need to be working for either through the legislature or through litigation or whatever it might be. So don't stay quiet. Let us know what we need to be working on. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of a, a overview of the advocacy work. So um, I don't know if we want to do questions at the end or I can, uh, or in the middle, but I can jump into my next experience on pick a villager. I don't know how you want to do it, Donna. Um, it, doesn't matter to me. How about if we, if anybody has any questions for what Claire just talked about with like advocacy and, and that type of thing, uh, if anybody has any questions for, for that, we'll, we'll take a few of those. And if there's any, think no hands it. right now. So I All think right, people so want to hear about Claire. I, I think they really want to hear the, <laughs> the pick of the litter. This awesome. is Glenn. I'm, I'm oh, sorry. There's go ahead. Um, what is, uh, the situation with the uh, accessible currency. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I can definitely. Um, so we officially, and when I say we, I mean ACB, we officially won the lawsuit back in 2008. So as it legally stands under the court ruling, the Department of Treasury is supposed to be making their paper currency accessible. Now, where the difficulty comes is the timeline in which they need to do it by. Um, the most recent ruling said that they had to have certain denominations. I want to say it was like the $10 denomination that by 2026, they're supposed to have an accessible feature for certain denominations. But this hearing that we heard on Friday was because the court, uh, the lower court had ruled that the government had a legitimate argument for delaying that process. And so our attorney, Jeff Levicki, appealed and brought it to the appellate court and said they don't have a legitimate reason to postpone. Um, and so we'll now wait to hear if our attorney is successful. So they continue, the government continues to find ways to argue over and over and over again that they can't meet these deadlines. Um, and so I listened to their argument. I wasn't compelled by their argument, but they keep arguing that under the American, or because this was a federal issue, it was under the Rehabilitation Act. Their argument is that um, some of you might know the language from the Rehab Act that if something is an undue burden, they don't have to comply with it. And they keep arguing that making paper currency accessible is an undue burden in the current <laughs> situation, which I don't agree with, but that's their argument. And the judge has given them time because they say, okay, we, the judge says we think it is an undue burden at this time and keeps extending the, the time. But, um, 
So uh, we will definitely get something out. There are many different forms of communication when we hear the, the decision from this three panel appellate court. So keep your fingers crossed as the, ju- the judges are writing up their opinion. We don't know what's going to come out of yesterday's oral arguments. So. Okay. Thank you so much. I I would say move on to pick a little litter. (laughs) So more exciting topics of pick of the litter. I laughed because as soon as I was going to talk about pick of the litter, I don't know if you heard the jingling. My guide dog came out. Um, (laughs) He he knows. She she knows we're talking about her. That's right. Yeah. Oh, she. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so for those of you, I'm sure most people are familiar, but if just a quick background, if you're not, Pick of the Litter was a documentary that came out in 2018, and it followed a litter of puppies from Guide Dogs for the Blind from GDV out in California, and it wanted to see, will these dogs be the pick of the litter, meaning will they become a guide dog? And the documentary was extremely successful. Um, I recommend everybody check it out. It's on Netflix now, um, and it is audio described. That was an issue for a while, but it is now audio described. Well, the um, it was so successful that Disney slash ABC, they're the same company, um, approached the filmmakers of Pick of the Litter and said, we want to do this again. Can we do a whole docuseries, meaning it'll be more than one episode? And so the filmmakers, of course, said yes, because I would think if you're approached by Disney, you would want to do that. Yeah. Um, so they, Guide Dogs, it's again through GDB, um, picked a uh, a series of dogs. This time they didn't do a litter. This time they just picked random dogs. I'm not sure why they changed their mind, but they picked several of their puppies and followed them from early puppyhood. Um, And this time they didn't just stop at when they went back to school. This time they actually went all the way through school to meeting their person, their, their handler. Um, So lo and behold, I'm one of the people who got the dog. I'm the handler of one of the dogs that the camera crew was following. Um, And I always love to tell people the story of how I found out. Um, I was a few weeks before I was supposed to fly to California to get my new guide dog because my former guide dog retired about a year ago. Um, Today is actually his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday to my retired guide dog. Um, but he, um, so I was supposed to go back. And so I got a call, it popped up on my iPhone and I saw the, the caller ID and I went, Oh, it's, it's guide dogs or the blind. And they usually call, I'm sure those of you who have guide dogs know, they usually call you a few weeks before you go just to check in and make sure everything's okay. Um, so I just thought it was like the pre, you know, school call and I was excited. Um, but the trainer who was there, he had been one of the trainers of my retired guide. So I said, Hey, Darren, how are you? And all excited. And he goes, Claire, I need to talk to you about something. So then I go, Oh, what did I do? I'm not in trouble. Am I? Um, and that's when he told me, by the way, the dog we want to pair you with has been followed by a camera crew and we want to send a camera crew out to DC to um, follow you before you come to GDB and then film you while you're in California and then even send a camera crew once you guys get home to kind of cover the whole span of like what it's like to be ready to go when you're there and when you come home. So that was quite a surprising phone call. I'll always remember that phone call. So yeah, so they came out to DC before um, to follow me um, in the day of life, Claire to so a day in the life of Claire, so to speak, um, which is really exciting. Um, if you list, if you watch the episode that I first appear on, 
the audio description shows me at work working. And unfortunately, the audio description isn't so detailed to say Claire is surrounded by Eric Bridges, Clark Rockwell and Kelly Gass and so on. But I, th- they are all seen. So um, in the background, if you can have someone describe in more detail, um, literally, there's a scene where we're all sitting around the conference room in the national office and you see Clark and Sharon and Kelly and, and the whole crew. So it's kind of fun. Um to, to know that there's a, a cameo by all of them. Um, they also um, followed me while I was at school. So when I was doing training with um, Tulane as my guide dog, um, they followed me with my trainer right behind. So that was a little um, intimidating because I'm sure those of you with, uh, with guides know when you're first working with your guide, you're a little shaky because you're getting to know each other and you know, what if something goes wrong? And then to have a camera crew following you, you're really like, what if something happens? Am I going to make a fool of myself? Um, in the show, Tulane and I had only worked with each other a couple of times. So she bumped me into a parking meter and they got that on camera and of course put it on the show. So that was embarrassing. Um, but yeah, it was just a really um, fun and interesting experience. They filmed me the moment I got, I met Tulane. So there's this whole heartwarming scene of me meeting my dog and her kissing me. And um, so it was a really fun experience, but very um, intimidating, I guess, at the same time experience to literally have cameras on you um, that whole time. And with for Tulane, too, because, of course, you know, a dog doesn't understand what a camera crew is so she's thinking all these friends are here for me um the uh the sound guy so the guy who put my microphone on me in california apparently tulane has a love relationship with him his name's omid and uh tulane is in love with omid so every time he came to like check my sound she'd get all excited because he's her best friend so that was pretty fun too because again a dog doesn't understand what a camera crew is and the sound crew is so uh, it's just a a fun experience um And then, yeah, they came and followed me when I got home and saw what it was like for us, you know, after the fact and that kind of thing. So kind of the whole, whole spectrum of the experience. So um, that's kind of in a nutshell what it was like. I'm sure if people have any specific questions about it, I can let you know. But yeah, it was just uh, from the surprising first call all the way to being followed by a camera crew throughout the whole experience. Are there any questions or comments or I'm just, oh there we go yes we have a hand here so Agnes um, I just wanted to say I think that it was good that they showed Tulane and you know her bumping you into something I can understand why it would be embarrassing because I have I've had guide dogs and you don't always like people to see those things because some people make a big deal of them but at the same time I think it was good for the public to see that because the public has the impression you know that these dogs are letter perfect and then um, when we come home with them they're letter perfect and they do anything wrong that's a bad dog you know and some people Mm -hmm. think you should just send them back no, that's a really good point. And I think guide dogs did a really great job of demonstrating that even a step before that they followed these dogs from, you know, when they were puppies all the way through to see if they could become a guide dog. And they showed them their flaws. They showed that they were real dogs and that not all of them make it. And even the ones that do make it, you know, 
have their days and their moments. So I completely agree. They do a real good job of like making it real. And yeah, these aren't, uh, even though Tulane thinks she's an angel, that these aren't, you know, angel (laughs) dogs with little halos and they're perfect. (laughs) Um, Andrea. Hi, Claire. Um, How many hours of finished film was there? Did they produce? Do you mean how many hours did they actually film or how long was the docuseries? Well, the docuseries was my first question, but actually the filming part too, because I'm sure they edited. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's why I asked because the docuseries is six episodes, each a half hour. So what that would be three hours. So it's only three full hours of viewing, but they, they recorded so many more. <laughs> I can't imagine what um, it's like to be the, the filmmakers who have to sit in front and edit and cut and cut and cut. Because for instance, just the day that they came and filmed me in Tulane after we got back um, from training, they probably got to my home at like nine in the morning and we probably did recording off and on till like four in the afternoon. So that's almost a full work day. And they only had like a tiny little snippet of us from what you know, we were doing after I got home. So yeah, I mean, hours and hours and hours of content down to only three hours of, you know, all five or six dogs and all the people involved. So lots of lots of recording for very few hours of production. Okay, thank you. This is Glenn. Go ahead, Glenn. Okay. Um, Katie, I just wanted to tell you, I think I said this earlier, but how impressed I was that you represented ACB and the blindness community so well on, on that show. That was Claire, not Katie. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was no, talking. Yes. It's fine. <laughs> Claire. Thank goodness I wasn't on camera, but uh, anyway. I uh, know. <laughs> Claire. And while well, I was seeing Katie's name, Jaws was speaking Katie and I was talking to Claire. So. <laughs> there's what I said about Tony too, th- too many things in your ear <laughs> right <laughs> but anyway Claire you you did a wonderful job representing the blind community and ACB and mm-hmm. I thank you so much for representing us in a, such a professional way and I think you do wonderful work and also I did have one question um did you keep in contact with any of your classmates from um the guide dog school I do. Uh, That's a fun question. So um, I stay in touch with almost all of them to different extents. We have a a text group um, that all of us are on. So, you know, from time to time, we'll all text each other and say, hey, how's it going? Um, But as far as the people who you guys all meet when you watch the show, um, only because, you know, obviously the classes are small and only so many of us were in class together. So the woman, um, Eva, who gets Paco, if you guys remember Paco and Eva, she and I were in the same class. So I spent the whole two weeks in class with her and got to know her. And actually where she's from in Southern California is pretty close to where I grew up. So that was kind of fun that we were from the same area. Um, So I, I stay in touch with Eva and hear about Paco. And then it is the strangest funniest small world um the young lady the college student kendall who unfortunately had to give the dog back sorry spoiler alert if you haven't watched the show um (laughs) she 
she lived in California before she moved to Texas when she was a really, really young lady. We had the same TVI, me, many, many years before her, but we had the same TVI. And so I actually tutored her and her twin sister in Braille when they were in like first grade and I was in high school. So we were texting one day and she said, Claire, this is the strangest thing. GDB just told me that I'm going to be followed by a camera crew. And I think literally my text back to her was something like, shut up, me too. (laughs) Uh, So just a a funny small world because I knew her in advance of the show. And so we we still talk. And then, of course, um, Olivia, the girl who does um, eventually get the other dog, who, by the way, Tartan is Tulane's sister. So we have sister dogs. Um, She and I have become friends over Facebook as well. So we we keep keep in touch over Facebook. So it's fun that I I do have connections with um, the other members of the show. All right. Um, Conrad. Hi, Claire. Um, This is Conrad. Um, So I'm on my uh, second guide dog. And my question out of curiosity is, through all those hours of filming, any major or interesting mistakes that maybe were not in the show that the cameras caught? That's a good question. Um, I can't think of any major mistakes, but again, just the dogs, again, they don't understand what a camera crew is. So for instance, we did um, a scene in front of right in front of the Capitol. So we were, it, I'm sure it was a beautiful shot. It'd be fun to have someone describe the visuals of it where I was walking in front of the reflecting pool by the Washington Monument and the Capitol is in the background. And so this camera is trying to follow us and it's, you know, this beautiful scene and Tulane just keeps looking at the camera. And so it's like, Tulane, just look ahead, straight ahead. Don't look at the camera. But how do you explain that to a dog, you know? Um, so those kinds of things. Um, oh, I just had another one and it left. Oh, the other funny one, it wasn't a mistake, but the first time they um, filmed me before I went to GDB, they did a scene with me with my re- now retired guide dog, Kodiak. And Kodiak is a big black Labrador. And when they came, it was like May in Washington, D.C. So it was like ridiculously hot outside and super humid. Uh, humid. And he was an older dog. So he was about to retire. And he's all black. And they kept making us film this scene walking down the road in front of my apartment building back and forth and back and forth. So this poor older black lab his tongue is like sticking out and he's slowing down Aww. and you could tell he was like mom I already guided you this way why do you need me to guide you back the other way <laughs> um so I'm, I'm kind of curious what the look on his face is in the final cut of like why am I doing this again <laughs> so yeah we don't have any more hands at this time so Claire do you have any anything else to share with us Well, I can just share if you guys are interested. I know um, Donna also asked me to just tell you guys a little bit about myself and some of my hobbies. So if you want to hear about me, I can tell you about me. Sure. Um, So I grew up in Southern California. So I am a a Californian at heart. Um, Moved to Northern California for college, but then ended back in Southern California for law school, about 20 minutes from my hometown, which I swore I would never do. And then I did. I have an identical twin sister. Um, her name is Kate. She is not blind, but we had a f- couple funny incidences in high school where people walked up to her and said, I thought you were blind. What happened? 
<laughs> oh my. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty entertaining. Um, um, a couple of fun facts about myself. I, my favorite hobby, I'm really into arts and crafts. Um, so you name the project. I have probably done it. Some jewelry making, knitting, um, card making, um, all kinds of things. I, I got to hear before I spoke this morning a little bit from um, Marcia about um, throwing pottery. And now I, I have the inkling to want to go out and learn how to throw pottery. So you name the um, arts and crafts project. I've probably done it before. I really enjoy that. Um, I'm also an extrovert. So I love meeting new people and hanging out with friends and staying in touch with people. Um, my mom always teases me that every time I come home to visit, I have a hangout with, you know, every friend from high school and college and church. And, you know, I, there's no person I don't stay in touch with. So I'm a true extrovert. So if we ever meet at convention or anything, you will become a lifelong friend. I, I love to stay in touch with people. So, um, I'm a huge dog lover. I'm sure that it comes across, obviously, from my involvement in Pick of the Litter. But um, I always wanted a guide dog from as young as I can remember. And my mom always said, as soon as you turn 18 and you go away to school, you can get a dog. <laughs> um, so as soon as I started college, I put my application in. And uh, when I remember getting accepted the first time to GDB, I was ecstatic. So, um, Yeah. I've had three guide dogs. I had my first guide dog, Corolla, who was a uh, half Labrador, half um, golden retriever, but she was black. So I always joked, you would never know she was part golden retriever. So she was ashamed of that side of her family and didn't want you to know. Um, and I had her for three years. Unfortunately, she had to retire early because of some um, guide work pulling in her harness. Um, then I got Kodiak right around the time I finished college. Um, he was a black Labrador, a little bit bigger. He went all the way through um, law school with me and then moved to the East Coast with me and worked for several years. And now I have Tulane, who is a yellow Labrador, very petite, um, but full of energy. If you've seen Pick of the Litter, you know how hyper and energetic she is. So uh, she's very fun. So yeah, those that's who I am. And those are my guides and a little bit of who I am. I also sing. I sing at my church and I've been in many choirs. I used to do voice lessons back in the day. So I enjoy music. Um, I pretty much always have music playing. Um, I always joke I'm this, the stereotypical blind person who loves music and loves to sing. So um, um, yeah, so that's a little bit of who I am. So do you are you part of the crafty chat? community of ACB? I am. I've unfortunately haven't had the opportunity to be on any of the calls, but I'm on the Facebook group. And every time I see the post, I get so excited and I've chimed in several times on the topics. And um, yeah, I feel like I found my people, Cindy um, Hollis, who is an ad admittedly not an arts and crafts person said, I don't understand you guys. You guys get so excited. And I said, Oh, Cindy, you're just not one of us. You don't understand. <laughs> 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 All right, um, we have a comment or question here from Fran. So, um, Fran, you should kind of mute and talk. There you go. Hi, Claire. Um, I don't have access to Netflix. Is there another way I can get a hold of that um, docu series of Pick of the Litter? 
Yeah, so let me um, let me specify. So if you want to watch the original one-part documentary, that one is on Netflix, or you can also purchase it on uh, iTunes. So you can go on iTunes and rent it. You can even buy the DVD of that now, too. I know Guide Dogs through their gift shop sells that, um, and you might be able to find it elsewhere on, like, Amazon. But that is the original one-part documentary. The new series that um that i was on was produced by disney and so the only way i know to watch it is through disney plus which is there it's it's similar to netflix but it's all disney um but because it's a disney product i'm pretty sure disney plus is the only way to watch it one more <laughs> yeah <laughs> one more. okay thank you yeah all right um, next, we have Agnes. So, yes, for the, the first documentary, Pick of the Litter, you can check with your public library. Some libraries do get these movies. But also, uh, if you go to blindmicemegamall.com, they have a movie vault, and they have it have it in their movie vault. You have to uh, register and you know sign in to be part of their site and they also sell products but um and what they do on their site is they only show you the give you the audio and all of their movies that they have up there they have the audio and the audio description and that's you know where i where i know that one is available thank you I know I've had people ask many times about the docuseries and are frustrated that it's only on Disney Plus. Um, if enough people complain, maybe we can get it changed. But it is still somewhat new. Disney Plus just started at the end of 2019 and the docuseries came out around the same time. <clears throat> so I think it's because it's still in its infancy, they'll be a little bit more guarded. But hopefully if enough of us, you know, say you know, put it on DVD or something. Um, maybe eventually it'll come out in a different format. And Conrad. So I did not have a, a question for Claire. I just want to clarify for Fran that the documentary that Claire is on is also on the Cero app as well as Disney Plus. Oh, thank you. Claire, this is Glenn again. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Kevin. Um, uh, this yeah, is well, a very qu quick one. Um, since you are uh, in interested in music and stuff, I was just wondering if you uh, participate or go to the Kennedy Center and use the audio description services there uh, living uh, in D.C. Yeah, um, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't used it nearly as much as I've always wanted to. So, you know, it's one of those things where you say you're going to do it and you don't. But I have been um, fortunate to go a couple of times, and I very much so recommend it. They do amazing work, um, and they do great accommodations. I'm actually um, acquainted with Betsy, or Betty, I always get it wrong, Betty, who does the ADA accommodation work there. And so you name what you need, and she will bend over backwards to make it happen, whether it be audio description or other things. Um, so they do a great work to try to make it accessible in every way for people with disabilities. I got to go a couple years ago to hear Handel's Messiah for Christmas, and I was amazing. Um, so, yeah, they do some great accommodations work, and their music is is phenomenal. So, yeah, if you're ever in D.C., check out the Kennedy Center. 
and, and if you're not able to go on the audio description night, if you let them know in advance, um, they will try and get an audio describer for you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. All right. And I think, I think Kevin has a question. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. I, um, I know a number of people who have guide dogs and, um, some of them, you know, when you get a new one, um, I know most people, I guess, give, give, um, give them away or, um, I guess make other arrangements. I was just wondering what, what did you do with your previous, um, guide dog? Yeah. So my retired guide, like I said, his name is Kodiak. Um, and I really struggled with it. I, I liked the idea of keeping him as a pet because, um, I love him. <laughs> um, but I felt really guilty because, you know, I, I live alone and I work full time. So I didn't want to leave him home. Not that that's a bad thing. Plenty of dogs live at home and they have no problem with it. And it might not have been an issue at all, but I just was uncomfortable with that at that point. And I have a friend who works from home. Um, so she's home all day and she has a really good relation, pre-existing relationship because she and I are very good friends. So he was around her a lot just because she and I hang out. And so I had asked, would you and your husband be interested? And she very animately said, yes, yes, yes. Um, and she lives very close. She lives in DC as well. So I can visit him or at least could visit him pre COVID. <laughs> um, and so um, I was really comfortable with that situation. So he lives still here in DC with a really good friend of mine who keeps me, you know, abreast of everything going on. Um, like I said, today's his birthday. And she texted me and said, he's had a great day. He slept in late, went for an extra long nap. And now we're cuddling. Um, so it's, it's great to have someone who keeps me up to date with how he's doing and we have a good relationship. So, um, but I'm sure anybody in you guys' affiliate will tell you there is no one size fits all when it comes to deciding what you're going to do with a retired guide. But in our situation, I think it worked out really well. Thank you. All right. There are no other hands right now. Great. Well, I always want to reemphasize that as far as going back to the advocacy, as far as advocacy issues go, like I said, we find out from you guys what the issues are. So whether you need one-on-one -on -one direct advocacy work or finding out patterns that we see throughout the country that we need to work on, like inaccessible absentee voting, it really helps if you guys reach out to us because that's how we learn about what's going on. So you can even just call the national office. That's easy. Um, you can write on Facebook. Um, Donna knows how to get a hold of me. But the easiest, most direct way is to email us at advocacy at acb.org. It's easier to remember because advocacy at acb.org. Um, and we, we really want to hear from you guys. So keep us, keep us posted. Um, some of the things we're looking into right now, and you might've seen over Facebook, we're looking to a lot of online learning platforms for accessible technology during COVID universities are starting to use all kinds of new platforms. Um, voting issues, obviously are a big thing with the general election coming up. Um, telehealth is a big thing, like I talked about this morning because of COVID. Um, but again, we, we don't live in West Virginia. We're not in your shoes. So if you have advocacy issues, please reach out to us and let us know because um, we, we want to learn from you guys. Is there anything else you'd like me to share, Donna? 
Oh, I was muted. I was talking and I was just muted. I wondered if you were muted, Donna. I was going to check the panel. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. uh, Could you just tell just briefly what um, that ERPS steering committee is that that ACB is and you're the chair or the, well, the lead or you're the staff person or whatever. Of course. Um, So as kind of a step back from that, um, since Dan Spoon came in as our new ACB president, he's helped to identify the work that the staff are doing into what he calls steering committees. And I believe it's nine steering committees that have been identified. And so this, yeah, so the steering committee that I am overseeing in charge of whatever we want to call it is called, I I affectionately call it ERPS, um, which stands for Information Referral and Peer Support. And so that's kind of two different components. Information referral, the first part, are just a lot of the calls that Sharon and I are constantly um, fielding where people say, you know, I just lost my vision. I need my state voc rehab phone number or, you know, I want to get a guide dog. What schools are out there? So that's the information referral. And so we're trying to create a database with all that information to have at our fingertips. And then the second component is kind of just the next step. And that's peer support. So when the person calls and says, I live in West Virginia, I just lost my vision. Is there someone near me that I can talk to? I can say, yeah, you should meet Donna Brown. Um, So it's just kind of the secondary but more personal database of people and resources. So because we're in the infancy of the steering committee, we're just trying to collect all of that data and have it in one place. So we're working on that. But the next fun, exciting part of ERPS is we're now putting on, like everybody in ACB, we're going to do a monthly community call to start working on some of this information referral. So our first call is going to be um, a week from Tuesday, so the 29th. And our first topic we're going to talk about is voting, so the information referral component of voting. And our very own Clark Rockwell will be the guest speaker. Starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, so I'd encourage everybody to check out the first one. Next month for October, it's going to be um, on employment and how to get accommodations and employment, so Title I issues. And Rosanna from our employment committee will be the speaker. Um, so I definitely encourage you guys to check out those um, ERPS community calls as well. Well, Claire, thank you so much for giving up your day to spend with us and and hopefully someday you can really come to West Virginia and I uh, hope so <laughs> uh, it'll happen probably yeah. <laughs> but thank you so so much and and thank you for all the advocacy work you you guys do and and just for your energy and in ACB and all that good stuff of course well thank you for having me I appreciate it okay uh, we've got six more door prizes to give, and then um, we'll kind of wrap up. But if people want to hang around um, just to chat, we can unmute everybody. But let's do the door prizes first, and then we'll discuss that. So, Glenn, we need some numbers. Pick a number between 1 and 73. A random number between 1 and 73 is 49. I think that one has already been called, maybe. I'm going to check. I'll, I have a system here. No, it has not, because that's right. Debbie Kane. Debbie Kane. I wasn't trying to cheat you out of that, Debbie. Well, and I'll tell you, Debbie Kane's going to win. <laughs> Debbie Kane's going to win a $25 um, Visa card donated by Vandalia Chapter. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, she won't have far to mail it. No. 
<laughs> no, how how ironic is that? Okay. Uh, Pick a number between one and seventy-three. A random number between one and seventy-three is fifty. Oh no, no I know been, that one's been yeah. called. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Pick a number between one and seventy-three. A random number between one and seventy-three is forty-six. Forty-six. Okay, 46 is Brenda Orndorff, and Brenda is going to receive... Is that going to be Brenda or, or uh, Chris Cook? Well, that, that it's Brenda <laughs> on here, so <laughs> Brenda's going to receive an Echo Flex. All right. Uh, yeah, which is just sort of a little Echo. Okay, Glenn, go for it. Pick a number between 1 and 73. Random number between 1 and 73 is 39. 39. Okay, and that is Josh Haza. Okay, and Josh will receive a $25 Amazon card donated by Kathy Gerhardt. Right. Okay. Um, okay, we have three more. Pick a number between 1 and 73. A random number between 1 and 73 is 52. Number 52. Higher numbers here. Well, that is Dan Spoon. Okay. Wow. Uh, Dan, oh boy, I don't know if they, well, we're going to send it to him. But anyway, he's going to get a $10 sheets card donated by Potomac Valley Chapter. I'm not sure they have sheets. (laughs) We'll have to find out before we send it, because there's no point in sending if they. Well, they have haven't been purchased yet. So. Yeah, we we could get like a ten dollars subway or something. Same same yeah. difference. Okay, two more. Pick a number between one and seventy-three. A random number between one and seventy-three is sixty-five. Sixty-five. Sixty-five is Tabitha Brecky who is a former West Virginia native and now lives in Auburn, Alabama. And Tabitha is going to win a $15 McDonald's gift card. All right. Okay. One more. All right. Pick a number between 1 and 73. A random number between 1 and 73 is 6. Number six. Yeah. That is Agnes, who has been at every session. Um, and she Agnes has. is from Greeley, Colorado. And she's going to win a $15 Amazon gift card donated by uh, Carol McGee. Congratulations, Agnes. Oh, well, thank you very much. This Amazon card will definitely come in handy. I'm uh, sure it will. And we, we thank you for attending our, our oh, you're welcome and i've had i've had a great time i made some special plans for this made sure i had an enough special food i wanted and i told various friends of mine that like to call me a lot or sometimes on the weekends i'm going to be busy and explained why so i've just had a fun time today thank great, you great great okay <laughs> okay well i really want to thank everyone who attended um thank we, I forgot to thank Desiree as our streamer this evening, and Katie, once again, is our Zoom host, and we certainly thank them 
Um, and again, we thank the people from ACB Radio. But I also want to take the opportunity to thank the convention committee. Um, you know, this was a, a team effort. It, it was not a one-man show. Um, and I, I will say, I, I want to thank the board and of Mountain State Council and the convention committee because, um, well, just to be honest, some, some people were really hesitant about having any kind of convention. And I said, we can do this. We can do a Zoom and they went along with it and supported it and, and helped out. And here we are. Um, and I do want to thank them for for just being willing to take that step of uncertainty in, in some cases. And it all came together. And we I just really thank everyone. 